Welcome to Chase the Vase podcast, where we share stories about those who have fought to overcome addiction. Join us every Tuesday and Thursday for the latest stories, tools, and tricks to sobriety. Now, here's your host, Brock Bevel. Welcome to the Chase the Vase podcast. I'm super excited to introduce Jenny Drake. Jenny is a self-love coach. She is anything to do with compassion, forgiveness, and just filling your up your own cup, right? Right. So you are a first on this show. And I, I more than anything, I think that's why I'm most excited because we don't get to hear the other side very often. And as addicts, we kind of beat ourselves up and, and we know about codependency and we know about that we're pieces of crap and we treat people like crap and we, we understand that. But I'm so appreciative the fact that you would come on and share your story with us. I know it's not going be easy. I know you're going to be intimate. You're going to be honest. You're going to be transparent. And thank you. Yeah. Well, thank you because I am a huge fan. And like, I, I feel like I'm with a celebrity right now. So to be able to share my story with you is just such an honor. I'm super stoked. And yeah, you guys beat yourself up enough. And so where I come in is the other side. Where's that self-compassion? Where's that self-forgiveness? Because you all hold yourselves accountable to that, but there's the other side too. Like it takes balance. Let's talk about that, Jenny, because that's a really important aspect here because we understand as addicts that we don't want to be addicts. None of us wake up in the morning and say, hey, you know what? I'm going to be a heroin addict today. I'm going to be an alcoholic today. That's just not in our DNA. No, nobody does. And as we're going through it, addiction takes over and it takes on this bigger than life. And we get to a point to where we try so many times to beat this addiction in a win and we constantly lose. So when we start getting into relationships or when we start trying to have this self-love, self-compassion, forgiveness, those are words that don't resonate. So I'm going to pass it over to you and maybe you can give us a therapy session. Maybe you can (laughs) teach us a little bit because I'm pretty pumped about it. Okay. Yes. I would love to just kind of share my story and how being in love with an addict has really catapulted my journey and led me to the space that I'm at now. And when you talk about addicts not resonating with self-love, self-compassion, and self-forgiveness. Yeah, that speaks really closely to my heart because the relationship that I was in, I knew that he didn't love himself. And I really thought that I could love him enough, right? Now, cognitively, I knew that that was not possible, but I stuck around because I wanted to be, I wanted to show him that if I could show that I, if I could love him unconditionally, despite all of his demons, and he let me into his world of demons, and it didn't make me love him any less. And I thought with that example in his life, maybe, just maybe, he could understand that he was worthy of love and lovable. That was my whole mission in that relationship. So what made you see him in that light where he didn't love himself? Were there examples? Were there incidents in his life that you were just like, man, this guy, this guy doesn't even know who he is, doesn't love himself? Yeah. So our stories, I feel like it's unique, but it's not 
really unique. When I fell in love with him, he was using and I didn't know. And he was extremely open and communicative and open to love and open to loving himself when he was active in his addiction. And so that's the person that I fell in love with. And I do believe he is that person. I really do. I believe that the drugs are what breaks down those barriers of pain and wounding. And so that was a really hard concept for me to understand when I did finally find out that he was using an active addict. Okay, I'm in love with a person that is all of these things when he's active as an, in his addiction. And then when he got sober, I really was hopeful that in sobriety, he could get back to that person without the drugs. What drugs was he on? What was his drug of choice? Meth. Meth. Mm -hmm. So did you see the massive mood swings, him staying up at night, irrational? Was he just spot on with it? He is a very functional addict. We don't live together. We had a very emotionally bonding relationship, but we lived about 30 miles apart. And with work schedules, we would spend every weekend together and travel together. And I had no idea. And nobody had any idea. He didn't have any of the typical meth things that we see in the media. Like he hit it very, very well. But I knew that the self-love piece was missing just from the way he would talk about himself, things that he would say. And I, there's a piece of me, you know, I really wanted to rescue him. I wanted to be probably a lot of ego based for me too, was I wanted to rescue him to make my, it's totally the savior complex. Got it. Did it work? No. No. So nope. you said he went through a time of sobriety. How much sober time did he have? Gosh. Well, we broke up in that amount of time for a time, but I want to say maybe four or five months he had sober. And that was also really confusing to me because he was a totally different person. He Dr. Was started, Jekyll, Mr. Yeah. Yeah. It was totally, and, and, you know, my heart knew him one way and I wanted him to be clean and sober, but there was this part of me that I shamed a lot that was in love with the active addict. And that was very confusing to me that I still work through that. Like what was different about him being sober and as an active user? Guarded, the disconnect. You know, I had these expectations in my mind that when he got sober, our connection would just get stronger. And it was the opposite. All of the numbing, all of the wounds that he was numbing with drugs, you know, it was just very apparent in sobriety. And, you know, we really considered parting ways when he decided to get sober. And, you know, we decided not to. And I Everyone told me I did tons of research. I talked to a lot of people and they said the first year of sobriety is super hard. So I put on my caregiver hat and I was like, you know what? I can be strong enough to go through this first year and see how it goes. Okay, hold on, Jenny. So you said you wanted to break up with him now that he's sober? Is it is it that the is that reversed? Right. That makes me sound so horrible, right? But no, no, it, it makes sense. I was with him. Well, he, first of all, he broke up with me in sobriety first by saying that he really needed to focus on his sobriety and 
being in a relationship, you know, and I got that. I was like, you know what? I can't hold you back. Awesome. You do you. I'm going to work on me. I'll love you from afar. And I, I really had hope that, you know, someday we could come back together and he could be, because the thing with us is like, I hadn't loved anyone unconditionally besides my children more than him. And I had been in a marriage for 22 years and I couldn't even say that about my husband, you know? And so I really had hopes that when he worked his sobriety, that we would come back together. We ended up coming back together. And it was when you have to remember, I didn't know he was an active user until he went into treatment. And then when he relapsed and I saw the Jekyll and Hyde right in front of my face in clarity saying, okay, now I see how hard it is in sobriety. And here's the guy that I fell in love with back when he's using. And I said, this is not healthy for either one of us. Okay. So I, I stepped back. So you said you uh, you were watching him work sobriety. What does that mean? Like, what does it mean to actively work sobriety? Or when you see someone work in sobriety, what does it look like? Struggle, work, pain, dealing with all the shit that, excuse my language, that you've been numb to while you're using, um, depression, self-loathing. Yeah, a lot of pain. So was he getting any extra help other than the rehab, right? That's where he went to kind of sober up. Was yeah. he getting any therapeutic help? Was he? Yep. Okay. Did you notice yep. any change there? No. And he was working a program. Well, you know, I don't really dwell too much in his actions at this point. Right when I found out that he was going into treatment, I really shined the spotlight on myself. Because I did not want to be involved in his journey. I mean, not wanting to be involved emotionally in his journey. I knew it was going to be a super rough road and I didn't want the highs and lows of it. So I literally, I'm a very visual person. I had the vision of a spotlight whenever I would get tempted to like focus on his actions, what he's doing, I would literally shine the spotlight on myself. And I just became really involved in my own journey so that I can fill my own cup to be with him. And that's understandable. So here's the co uh, here's a question for you, Jenny. I'm going to, I'm going to put that, the coaching hat on real fast. Okay. You've gone through it. You've been through it. You, you understand what it's like to love somebody in active addiction. You understand how hard it is to love somebody outside of active addiction, right? And one of the things that you talk about is you want to talk about self-love and self-compassion and self-forgiveness and to fill your cup, right? How do you coach us up? Now, now I'm going to give you an opportunity to throw some X's and O's on the board and talk to us. Yeah. But how does an addict, right? You're going through it. You, you know what it's like when you self-medicate yourself. I mean, that's exactly what he was doing. He was self-medicating. He was, he was uh, keeping the demons at bay, mm -hmm. right? He was keeping them hidden, locked up under the bed. And once that drug wasn't there anymore, that those demons started to escape. Yeah. Right. So yeah. how do you speak to us? Because because I'm really interested in what your thought process is. I mean, you you work with people on yeah. on developing that self awareness, that compassion, that forgiveness, that acceptance. So teach us. I think it it goes to where those wounds stem from. Okay. It really is about what are you numbing yourself from? And I think the difference between what I do and what a lot of other people do is 
there's not that self-compassion. So many of our wounds come from our childhood. And once I figured out that my own demons stem from my childhood and that they're not my fault, I don't have to blame myself for that part of myself and nurturing those things that we have shame for and, you know, that we just criticize and judge and we minimize and we, you know, we want to fix and we want to just change about ourselves. That's the approach that most people go to about their, you know, their wounds and their shadows. But that's the opposite of what needs to happen is we need to love and nurture those childhood wounds and that inner child through compassion. And I did that for myself in this journey of being in love with an addict is my own addictive behaviors, because I totally believe that, yes, we may not have substance addiction, but I think everybody has addictive behaviors. And I dove into my childhood wounds and my inner child and just really turned to self-acceptance and self-nurturing and self-loving. And it was amazing when I shine the light on those shadows, how, how much I was able to heal them. Okay, I'm hearing you. Now, being a recovering addict, okay, being an addict and understanding that trauma in my past, trauma in my childhood. And I'm agreeing with you that I believe that a lot of our addictions are carried on because of trauma that we've experienced as youth that we can't handle um, without self-medicating, that we just are scared to dive into. And right. I said it, we're scared. We are, you know, even yeah. as men. But the whole love thing, learning to love myself is a journey, right? I'm, I'm 11 years sober today or uh, last Monday. And Congrats. thank you. Awesome. And, and, but I still feel like that's a journey, right? I still feel yeah. like that's a journey and I'm trying to figure it out even today. What are some cues or some tools you can lend to women or men out there who are trying to love this addict, who are trying to, they have this relationship with the, this addict. What advice do you give them or what are some, what are some tools? So the loved one of the addict? Yeah. Well, before I go to that, I just want to, yes, Self-love is a journey for every single person, and it is even harder for an addict. I'm not discrediting that. And I just want to say that the first step is acceptance, is self-acceptance. This is who I am, and it's okay. And we might have to sit in self-acceptance for a really long time before we can take that next step. But we, as addicts, we have to understand that because that's step one. We're powerless, right? We have to accept that we have an addiction. Yeah. And, and that we're powerless. Well, and that you have an addiction, but that addiction stems from that, you know, some people can accept that, but what they can't accept are the wounds and the trauma that the addiction is the antidote for. So that's really digs deeper of, okay, this happened to you in your childhood Let's go there and let's just sit in acceptance of that. So yeah, the acceptance piece is the first step and we might have to stay there for a really long time, a really long time. So what are some tips and tools of loved ones of addicts? Work on yourself. Like number one, that was the biggest thing for me. I already talked about the visual of the spotlight because we are so tempted 
to put our hand and I was the same way. I wanted to put my hands in his journey, you know, in his kitchen. And whenever I was tempted, I was saying, okay, what do I want to give to him? Compassion. Okay. I'm going to give him compassion, but I'm going to give myself compassion first. So I just made it a habit that whatever I was fixating on giving to him, I would stop and turn it on me. So compassion, unconditional love, struggles with a higher power. If I was judging or wanting to fix him, I turned that back on me and it became my journey. So that would be the first tip is take your eyes off of their journey and put your eyes on your own. I love it. So how do we be, how do we make sure that we don't cross over into this codependency, right? Because that's a big thing. And I understand that in codependent relationships, right? Uh, usually one or other, each party has low self-esteem, trouble in identifying their own emotions, making decisions, trying to take care of that other person, yeah. desire to feel, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. oh, you have all these yeah. I don't want to say ailments, but you have these like a, a, you're a, you're a caretaker, right? You want to love somebody into surrendering and love them into sobriety. Yeah, I have a lot to say about codependency, actually. First of all, it really pisses me off when <laughs> or it did for me when it was codependency is a result of low self-esteem. That did not resonate with me because I am like, I don't have low self-esteem. So I think it is very normal as humans to have codependent behaviors. And I do not like, for a long time, I didn't want to be labeled a codependent because that had such shameful connotation attached to it. Jenny, when you say behaviors, can you tell me a few of them that like, so we can understand, I know you're talking about uh, codependents can't say no, right? Most of them cannot, like a mother's son. I can't say no, go ask your dad. But right? Yeah. Why That's a is behavior? That, it's a behavior and we are moms. Right. And I'm speaking to the women for a sec. We are women and that is who we are, is to be nurturers and caretakers. So I'm not saying that it's good for the addict. And I'm not saying, I think where it runs into problems is when that caretaking is starting to affect us and harm us. Or enable the addict. There you go. That enabling portion. Because I see it every day where a party will not walk away from it because they're afraid, they're anxious or drained from it. Uh, They feel like they're the rescuer. They're afraid to leave, right? These are some of those behaviors that follow that codependency and that enabling. So how did you make sure you didn't get into that? Oh, well... Sometimes I did, but it takes consciousness and awareness and a support group that can call you out when you do cross that line. Because it's natural. What I'm saying is it's natural to do that at times. And we have to keep ourselves in check. And I ask myself, am I enabling him or am I hurting myself? Is my emotional, spiritual, or physical self being harmed by me making these choices? So is there a checklist you go through to find out, hey, I'm not an enabler, I right? wish, right? We want the black and white. Like, that's I'm the queen of just give me the rules and I'll follow them. But being with an addict, there are, it's no way. There's no It's rule. not like that. And so, again, 
loving an addict, we have to be in tune with ourselves and our own intuition and our own source, whether it's, you know, our own higher power to know where we stand. And there were times I would say to him, I would ask my addict, can I be asking you this? You know, am I supposed to be asking you this? Because one of my faults is I felt like security for me meant knowing all the facts. So I would always ask questions because it would make me feel secure, you know, but the more I worked on myself, the more I knew when I would cross those lines. And that's what led me to stepping away from the relationship because I wanted the black and white of what is enabling and what isn't enabling. And I was totally justifying the fact that I was giving him unconditional love and 100% acceptance all the time because that's who I am. I learned and I swear it took time and it took a higher power. I did it step by step. I was patient. And one day I realized me being that girlfriend was a form of enabling because I was softening his bottom. So where does it become, where do you become an enabler? One question that I know of is that you make constant excuses for this partner. Right. That's one of the kind of that self-check is like, hey, wait a minute. Am I making excuses for this guy or this girl? Right. And and I see it right now. I have a, a family member that's in a relationship and he's battling between my children, his children and a relationship. Right. And so there's got to be a partner, a, a portion where you can ask yourself, OK, am I involved in a codependent? Am I enabling this person? And those are some of those those basic rules. Number one, I would say. Are you making excuses for them? Am I trying to hide their behavior from other people? Or when do they have to take that extreme ownership of their addiction? Right. Where I have problems with that, though, is that's all in our mind. And we can drive ourselves crazy by saying, by being in our mind like that. And one of the things that drove me crazy was, should I be with him or should I not be with him? And I would have sleepless nights about wanting to find the answer to that. And the answer is not in rules or black and white or, you know, a list of behaviors. That's not where the answers lie. The answers are inside of us and it takes time. And what I realize is sometimes we're not ready for the answers that we're seeking. So we have to be patient and just take it one instance. I don't even say one day at a time. It's one instance at a time until the answer is revealed. So as the loved one of an addict, we can, that's when we make ourselves crazy. And that's when we lose power our power over the addiction from the addiction is because we're wrapped up with the shoulds and shouldn'ts and rights and wrongs and, and all of that. And we have to take ourselves out of that and really go inward and have faith that it will be revealed to us about how we are to act with our addict, where the end game is. We will know when it's time to know. So are you a, are you a firm believer of Al-Anon? Yeah, Al-Anon has helped a ton with my situation. I will I was completely oblivious to the alcohol. The biggest thing that I learned from alcohol is my addict brought me to Al-Anon 
and made it crystal clear that there's alcohol in my personal family that I never looked at. That was really awesome. interesting. But yeah, yeah. I mean, any support system, safety and unconditional love, I'm all for. Like we cannot do this alone. We have to have a support system. Okay, so here we go. Would you date another addict? It's a tough question, right? It would be tough to, right? As you can tell from this conversation, I'm a very in the moment, feeling-based person. So I really have a hard time with saying never and always, you know, like having steadfast rules. I would love, no, like, no, I do not want to date an addict ever again, but I didn't want to date an addict before this and I fell in love. Right. So I'm not going to go looking for addicts or alcoholics. No, definitely. And I definitely have, you know, awareness and looking for things in the dating world. But listen, he hid it from me for a really long time. So who's to say someone else won't? Yeah, totally agree. That And that seems to be the trend in this kind of relationships is where, especially as addicts, we we try to find those people that we can, we can become dependent on, right? right. And we go through relationships in it. So, uh, so I do appreciate your, your honesty. You know, are you, do you have any triggers today from, um, the way the relationship happened? Are there some cues that you can give us as listeners to look out for? Oh, man, I haven't thought about that, actually. You know, one of my weaknesses is, as I'm super honest and on the table, and I think other people are too. And so this has just really taught me that, you know, and I never said my addict was like like lying to me because I I understood that that was a symptom of his addiction. And, you know, I didn't take that personally. I don't feel like I have a ton of trust issues now because of that, because I, I think God really helped me to separate the addict from the addiction, but red flag or red flags, or I guess what you're asking is in the dating world, would something kind of like trigger me? I would say if we're out and they're drinking alcohol, just kind of like watching and maybe asking a couple of questions, not like from a protective space of, oh, I dated an alcoholic, like, do you drink, like in an accusatory way, but just casually asking questions and seeing how they answer. Like, are they comfortable ask answering questions about their behaviors? But I really think it has, I always turn to myself. I really think like if I come into, you know, a new relationship and I'm like, okay, how much pot do you smoke <laughs> on a weekly basis? And how many drinks do you have? That's not going to get an authentic answer. So I think it's really about checking ourselves and just quietly observing and just really being in tune with our intuition about those red flags. I was the queen. I always say like, I love the color pink. So I'm the queen of painting red flags white to make them pink, you know? So you're talking to the women or the men out there. What would you tell them? I mean, what were things that you saw that you're like, man, I wish I would have, I would have noticed that earlier. Can you give them some, some hints or clues on things that they might see that made you think, huh, I could have ended this earlier or I could have fixed it earlier? Well, I will say that when he told, okay, so I knew he had been in AA, like he disclosed that 
from the beginning of our relationship. And actually I was really, I loved that about him because I'm really into self-growth. And so when he disclosed to me, like within our first conversation, like, Hey, I've, I've been in AA, you know, I was like, wow, that's amazing. Like you have all this self-awareness that was really attractive to me actually. And I would kind of, I would watch his alcohol intake and I never for the whole time of our relationship before I found out that he was an active meth user, I would look at his alcohol intake and I'd be like, Oh, half the bottle of, you know, beer fine with me. I was so naive. I had had no experience with addicts. Not knowing he should have been in NA, right? Right. Or, <laughs> or like, wait, you've been in AA, but you're still drinking half of a beer. Like that would be a red flag for me. But I was just so naive. But six months into it, I found out he had actually been in treatment before. And he didn't come out and tell me that it kind of came out in a family conversation. And at that time, I took two weeks. And I searched my soul of whether I wanted to continue on this path. At that time, he was using and told me he was not. And I continued on because I'm like, you know what? I can do this again. It was probably an ego thing on my part. Like, I'm secure enough to, you know, be with a recovering addict. I thought he was recovering at the time. Looking back, I'm like, uh, I should have listened to my intuition and said, you know, this is probably not a path that I want to go down. That's what I'm looking for. I, I agree with that. I like that. Thank you. And mm -hmm. I really, Jenny, I really appreciate it. Is there any, any worded advice you would like to leave with us today before we, yeah. before we close this up? We'd love to hear it. Whether you're an addict or a loved one of, of an addict, be kind to yourself. Being the loved one of an addict has a lot of, you know, self-judgment. I don't want to say shame, but self-judgment. It's like, why am I, I deserve better, but I'm not accepting better. And that's a really harmful place to be. And so the more you get out of that space and just say, hey, I am doing the best I can in this moment is such a more loving space. Um, so just really be kind to yourself because the journey that you're on, listen, the last words, I would not might get a little emotional here. I would not trade this journey for anything because what I've learned about myself, I know that this was placed in my path for my growth and my healing. And I wouldn't trade it for anything. I wouldn't choose it again, but I knew, I know from the bottom of my heart that I needed to go through this to get to where I am right now, which is in complete self-love, you know, self-compassion. And the biggest step for that was I looked at him and I said, I can unconditionally love this person so much. And it taught me how to unconditionally love myself. And I said, if I can do that for him, I can do it for myself too. Amazingly put. Thank you, Jenny. Thank you for coming on and chasing the base with us today. You. you were amazing talking about codependency, talking about filling your cup, being a coach out there. I know there's men and women who hear and you're speaking their language. So if they were able or they wanted to get a hold of you, what's the yeah. best way to contact you? Instagram, Jenny underscore Drake underscore. I also have podcasts called Falling in Love with Yourself. And that's on all podcasts, you know, Spotify, Apple. I also have a website, Jenny-Drake.com. I host a free 
Zoom every Monday morning. This one's only for ladies, though. Every Monday morning from 8 a.m. till 9 a.m. Pacific time, we gather. I don't do coaching. It's just for connection, me time, validation, and just so your voice can be heard. So if any of that speaks to you, please reach out to me. I would love to hear from you. And your Zoom meeting, how many people do you usually have showing up for that? Uh, Around 15. Nice. Yeah. That just want to connect and be heard. And, you know, addiction or not addiction, we talk about tons of different things. So good. Thank you. You were amazing. And I I do hope I I do. I'll put a a contact with this podcast so they can get a hold of you. Awesome. Appreciate your time. Happy Martin Luther King Day and taking your time out for us. Thank you so much, Brock. It's been so much fun. Yes, ma'am. You've been listening to Chase the Vase Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on Spotify, Anchor, or Apple Podcasts to get new, fresh, weekly episodes. For more information, please follow us on Instagram, LinkedIn, and Facebook, or visit our website, chasethevase.com. Until next time, keep chasing the vase.